Hello and welcome to Data Center Unplugged from Proact. Today we continue our 2024 in focus mini series with our friends at Citrix, where we'll learn about what's changed since they were acquired by the Cloud Software Group and understand more about their strategic direction moving into 2024. We'll cover key announcements from the last year, including universal licensing and the revival of Zen Server, and look forward to what's coming, including improvements within SaaS environments and user experience monitoring. Our podcast panel for today includes Gerard Levin, Field CTO at Cloud Software Group, Andrew Barlow from the Partner Account Management Team at Cloud Software Group, and Ollie Thompson, one of Proact's solution architects and workspace specialists. Finally, bringing it all together is familiar voice and Mr. Modern Work himself, Nathan Byrne. Nathan, over to you. So as we look back on 2023 around Citrix, I think it would be remiss of us not to start at the beginning. The, f- the real first interactions of Citrix as part of the cloud software group. Jerry, are you okay to give us some background on what exactly happened? Yeah, sure. Um, so in, in 2022, um, Citrix uh, was taken private in one of the largest um, private equity software deals ever. So before that, we were a public company, had been for a long period of time. Um, we're taken private by two investor groups, um, Elliott and Vista, a merged with an organization called Tipco, another software house, but one who, who doesn't play in the in the EUC space. They're, they're much more on the data side of things. Um, so uh, taken private, brought together, and then into 23, the structure of that new organization started to emerge. Um, I think the, the biggest changes... Uh, Obviously, there was com- company structural changes, private to or public to private, and, and and changes with that. But I think the biggest changes was how our engineering and product teams were organized. We went to a business unit model, so Citrix became a business unit within Cloud Software Groups. So if you think of Cloud Software Group as kind of the holding um, business, a holding organization, and inside are different business units like Citrix, Netscaler, Zen Server. Um, and the TIPCO business units as well. So each of those business units were given autonomy. They had their own profit and loss. They had their own engineering and product resources. Um, and they're focused on really delivering the products that they've been bought for in the first place. So with, with Citrix, that was secure application and desktop delivery. Um, and even though there are separate business units, some of the, the business units continue to work really closely together where it makes sense. So Citrix and Netscaler, a lot of heritage, were parts of the same legacy Citrix. They still work very, very closely. And what we found as we've gotten into 24 is we've started to bring them even closer back together because we've found the majority of our Netscaler customers are also Citrix customers as well. But definitely the biggest change, that business unit model, and the other change within that business unit model is um, the focus on where we're going with the product is driven by customer demand less so what the analysts are saying, less so what the market is saying. So if you've seen it in the past, we've, you know, we've, we've brought out some products, made some acquisitions that were probably outside the uh, general wheelhouse of EUC or um, secure app delivery. Our focus now is really just continue to do the best of what we've always done well, delivering those apps and desktops. It's interesting you touch on that it's customer demand. Ollie, is is one of our focus solution architects, you know, You'll have been out there on the front line. What what did the changes mean for our customer base? Yeah, like, like Jerry said, then it was obviously a, a big um, a big change, and it's not going to happen overnight. So we have seen it. Um, been, it's been quite 
um, what's the word now, disruptive for a lot of customers and for even us as resellers to, to get pricing for things and things like that. But from an actual Citrix point of view or from the, you know, the technology point of view, we are seeing a lot of people now take up um, the, the Citrix cloud platform service. Um, the desktop as a service and things like that that are, that are integrated into there. It just makes everything easier for them. And it, to be fair, it makes it easier for us as well. Um, but yeah, we, we're seeing a lot of people transgression over to that um, through the use of universal licensing because it gives them hybrid rights so they can stay on-prem. You know, they can move over gradually and then all of a sudden switch off on-prem uh, or use both. Uh, but yeah, the, the fact that it comes with a very simplified gateway service, which to be fair... A lot of our Netscale customers, if you ask them really, that's all they use it for. That and load balancing Citrix services, which are no longer on-prem, so they don't need that. They just need the gateway in. Um, obviously, we, we do have customers that use the sort of web app firewalls and things like that and proper full-on content switching end factor and, and multiple uh, authentication methods. But for, for I'd say, probably 80% of customers, that the, the gateway service that comes with Citrix Cloud is sufficient for what they need. So we are seeing the people that were generally on-prem, you know, it's, it just makes it a lot easier. Citrix take care of everything else. They just need to make sure they've got cloud connectors up there. It's interesting you use the word Citrix take care of everything else because one thing I've seen is is a a closer partnership with Citrix as part of this. I'm going to bring Andrew in at this point. I mean, um, we've talk, we talk a lot now around our relationship with, with Citrix. Are you okay to touch on what, what it effectively meant for partner relationships and how how are customers choosing to engage now yeah definitely and um i think you know it's good good point you make nathan about the the partnership being being really strong obviously we have always had proact as as one of our top partners even you know going back to the the cetus days before uh proact acquired cetus uh cetus were one of my first uh meetings externally facing meetings after i joined citrix um five years ago I think around that time you were one of only two platinum plus partners in the uk um that's based on you know technical certifications number of customer deployments and things like that uh, this year we're on a, a platinum uh, we're on a program where product are a platinum partner that's an invite only program so there's a select number of partners that actually make the cut to become a platinum partner um so that's really us recognizing that products have got that that real skill set and are a safe pair of hands from a Citrix NetScaler perspective. Um, in terms of engagement, the engagement model did shift slightly um, as we went into this year. Um, and a lot of that has come by us putting some additional investment into our channel. So putting extra people, extra bodies, extra resource to supporting partners like Proact um, and really letting you guys go and be the face of Citrix NetScaler Cloud Software Group to an end user. And then we have a lot of supporting resources here to um, to back you guys up where, um, you know, customer conversations are needed. We want to get into roadmap discussions, uh, anything like that. You know, we're still here as a direct point of contact, just working more closely with the channel than we ever have done before. Thank you, Andrew. I think I think it's important to to note there that CETAs did bring a great heritage. They were a great EUC partner. And, you know, I know Ollie's ex-CETAs, so he brings a wealth of skill, as you can tell. But I think you know, so some of the people we acquired in in that merger, it, it's just amazing to work with them in the EUC space. Um, Gerard, I'm glad, so obviously with the change comes opportunity. Um, what were some of the challenges facing customers in 2023, and and how did the merger allow Citrix to engage that customer need? Yeah, if I look back at 23, um, I think I saw a number of of common challenges uh, that that we saw across a lot of our customers. 
Um, Ollie talked there uh, previously about you know people using you know cloud workloads, using cloud services. I think customers were looking at their cloud spend in twenty three, their general spend, right? I think you know we'll remember twenty three as the year of inflation, if nothing else. But we saw you know, you know customers generally looking at. Um, where they're spending for an IT perspective, probably giving it even more scrutiny. It's the first year that I um, heard, you know, FinOps be used by a lot of customers as well, really looking at uh, where that spend was. So there was a sense of, uh, let's put our workload in the right location. Um, and sometimes that location is driven by regulatory requirements, you know, because of the, the sector the customer works in, maybe they're working in the defense space or they're working in some part of public sector that they can't move to public cloud. But it was also driven by cost. And I saw many customers who were, who had aggressive moves to cloud kind of question, were they moving for the right reasons? So there was a slowdown of a move to cloud. Um, and they're also looking to put the right workloads in the right location, right? So we did some modeling around this and we, we worked with some customers on this. So things like DR and burst workloads made absolute sense. But if you've already um, invested in something like a HCI stack on premises, I think customers are looking, can we can we sweat those assets for longer? Can we do more with those assets? Um, so it's definitely a reevaluation of where workloads sit. Um, I think on top of that, right, customers were looking at the demands, there was still a huge pent up demand post the pandemic um, for IT delivery, digital transformation. So there's a lot of demand on the IT organization, but digital skills are still hard to find out there, right? Into 24, people are seem to feel the labor market is softening a bit, right? Um, we've probably all seen that um, ourselves, but there's still sets of skills out there that are hard to find. Um, so again, customers were looking at can we get tooling? Can we get help from partners that have those skills? Can we do more with automation um, in this space? So I think customers were fairly advanced or some customers were advanced on some sides of engineering automation, but they still have more work to do. Um, and again, that also helps drive down some costs and, and, and drive up those efficiencies. I think the third one was, it's the same one, but uh, you know, every year we hear it's, it's even more important than security. Um, so there was concern that, you know, after the, uh, the war in Ukraine started that we'd see a lot of state sponsored, um, activity, um, that probably did, but maybe didn't peak as, as great as we thought. We've just seen continual variations of threats out there, right. Um, to various types of malware, um, ransomware continues to be a threat out there. People continuing to look at ways to target, individuals through their personal life to attack companies. Um, so the security buyer within organizations, I think has access to, to a lot more budget because of that concern. Um, we're seeing focus on the C-level within organizations being more savvy and more educated about uh, cyber and information security risk. So people are coming back to their vendors and coming back to their partners and saying, how can you help us um, again, secure our business? And on the regulatory side, we have things like uh, NIST 2, we have DORA, all of those kind of, you know, uh, being hoisted in our customers and then having to react to those and provide solutions that on one side, they're being forced to because they're real risk to the business, but on the other side, they're under a lot of regulatory pressure as well. It's interesting you touch on NIST 2 and DORA. We have a, uh, one of my colleagues, Shane, talks a lot about that as operational resilience. 
And some of those regulations are, are far-reaching and, and quite interesting in what's being mandated as part of it. Um, I think there's lots in there that if, you, if you're in that space, it's going to make big changes about how you handle operational resilience, DR and backup. Yeah, complete, completely. I think everything from you know having more than just paper test plans to um, getting people who are, I think, maybe if you don't have those skills in-house. And again, I think we get back to the skills shortage thing. It's like, how can you work with third parties, vendors, partners in that space to to help you with some of these concerns as well? It's interesting you touched on the, the pent-up demand of the pandemic. One thing we're seeing a lot of is is organizations effectively trying to strategize their way out of what happened with the pandemic. They, they made a lot of changes to, to basically keep above water, and now they are working out the best bits they like, what they need to change, and they're starting to write strategies around that taking them forward ollie you know just on the three points that were raised there right workload right location you know security and, and finding the balance how are you seeing that play out in your conversations yeah yeah same again um i think we're seeing a lot of a lot more people look at public cloud obviously it's it's gonna it is an obvious sort of um progression for a lot of businesses if you're a new business i don't see the point in ever getting anything on prem unless there's something that is governing that you would look straight into public cloud i think but as existing businesses go definitely the hybrid solution is everywhere at the moment i don't think i've got a single customer that's not at least hybrid or looking at hybrid in the next six months um again you come back to citrix and that you know with the cloud platform that's geared up ready to go to hook into azure aws google platform um and it, you know it does that natively there's nothing special you need from it you just create a hosting connection into your uh, subscription in there and away you go you can do it exactly as you do it on prep um it's interesting around the actual hci stacks that are coming out obviously microsoft have got the azure one that is almost in general availability we hope um <laughs> but we're seeing a sort of resurgence of the lights of nutanix as well as at an event last year where they partnered with citrix uh, and igel and that was a really good event that actually um i genuinely thought nutanix was going downhill sort of dying death but they seem to be making a bit of a resurgence because of things like that and now obviously you've got the likes of um the let's say the top hypervisor vendor around that has just gone through an acquisition and they have dropped some let's say some big rocks in the water and created some ripples in recent weeks <laughs> <laughs> You said it so politely, Ollie. There, I was. Yeah, I was wondering how you're going to word that. But yes, <laughs> um, and that that that's immediately at the start of this year. We've got customers asking us what's going on with that. You know, we've got renewals coming up, and they the customers are worried about that. And it's the same sort of thing as we saw with Citrix when Cloud Software Group came in. You've got people worried, and it's going to be down to how that is um, communicated out to customers and through partners, which. As far as I'm aware, there are none at the moment. So it, that's that's going to be an interesting couple of months, to say the least, on that one. I, I think it's only fair. I mean, I, I'm not saying it just because Andrew's on the call here, but how they navigate navigate out of that will relate uh, will be dependent on their partner relations. And I think Andrew, you you helped us as CSG in the merger. You know that was what kept us kept us going, and the information you were able to provide. Now, just touching on the cloud, you know, we can't we can't touch on cloud without subscription and consumption models because it's becoming the norm. 
I, um, I know, Andrew, I ask you all the time around subscriptions and what's the future for licensing. Are you all right to touch a bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I think from a market perspective, we've definitely seen a big shift to subscription and cloud software group, Citrix, Netscaler licensing is, is no different. We've definitely followed that that trend. The future from a from a Citrix licensing perspective, we see definitely as, as that universal license. So universal license, I think it's been touched on a couple of times, but just to kind of explain what that is, it's all about meeting customers where they are on their hybrid cloud journey. So um, effectively what we're delivering to you is one user of Citrix and we give you the flexibility to deploy that how and where you want to deploy that. So from a management perspective, that can be managed on-prem, it can be managed uh, in a bring your own license to a public cloud scenario. It can be delivered out, out of our DAS control plane, as, as Ollie touched on a couple of times. And effectively, that license can be used in any combination of the three. So you can be doing, you can be happily working away in DAS, and then a new use case pops up, and oh, we need to deploy something in Google Cloud in Australia for a particular use case, and you're licensed to do that. You don't have to come back to us to do anything different there to change your license type or add an additional capability. So it's all about being extremely flexible and allowing customers to to utilize and deploy Citrix however they want. And on on the back end, obviously that that's exactly the same. So that can be deployed in public cloud, private cloud, um, on-prem data centers or any combination of, of the above really thank you i think i think we've we've naturally progressed from what was 2023 to to now um gerard what what does 2024 hold for for citrix i think from a from product and company strategies perspective um continue to build on what we did in 23 in many ways um so continued focus on what customers want that customer demand I think sort of Ali alluded to some changes in the market there earlier. So um, I think one area that just to touch on it briefly is uh, how software groups reinvestment in Zen server, something we really haven't been doing much with for the last few years. Um, so again, another choice for customers, right? Right workload, right location for, we have many customers who run um, Citrix workloads on top of Zen server. Um, it, I think number that we're happy, more than the number of happy that we're reinvesting in there. I think into, you know, from a sort of overall customer trends perspective, um, but I, I mentioned earlier, we're going to have that fo- renewed focus on, you know, having Citrix and Netscaler working closely together. Uh, we always we already mentioned Universal from a licensing perspective, uh, just a general approach of a simplification of how we go to market with a lot of our offerings and our and our, our SKUs for that. Um, so really building out that platform for secure EUC um, and making it easy for customers to to be able to get the components that they need to build out their solutions as well. Um, Ollie mentioned hybrid. Um, so again, I think 24 is going to be another year for hybrid and we're going to continue to invest in both on-premises and cloud. So last year we brought um, Autoscale to on-premises. We brought uh, Studio to on-premises. Um, we're working on um, bringing the same look and feel workspace to the on-premises storefront and bringing some of those capabilities. So where we can and where we can take features from cloud, we'll make sure that they're available to on-premises customers as well. Um, but continue to innovate cloud for us. So a DAS platform allows us to innovate faster there. I think from the secure EUC angle, 
you know, building on that zero trust story, the fact that we've been delivering secure solutions um, in with a zero trust approach before, you know, for the term zero trust was was used widely out there. Um, it's also, I think, we we have. I do a lot of customer meetings where we talk about zero trust. It means a lot of different things to to different customers, right? Uh, I, I was just about to say, could you expand a bit on what zero trust is? Because there's a lot of marketing. <laughs> From a lot of people, what does zero trust mean? Well, yeah, now it, it, it's Citrix now with ten percent more zero trust. But um, <laughs> yes, yeah. Now I I think like I I spent some time with a a customer yesterday, a very security cost- conscious customer, um, and I asked them that question. They said we have we're looking at a, a zero trust approach. I said, what does that mean to you? And they talked again about you know. Um, least privileged access for their end users, segregating their applications from their infrastructure, um, not trusting their own networks, continual verification, um, you know, making sure that, you know, they, they're, they're able to log and audit everything that they do, um, being able to um, address that at the network layer, at the application layer, at the identity layer. So for them, it was this whole layered approach of how we can make sure that we allow people to do the work they want to do, um, but do so in a way that minimizes the risks to them and their, the risk they may um, pose on the business. And I think if you look back at things we've been doing with vir- uh, virtualization, so privileged access workstations, Swift payment networks, Bastion hosts, these were all kind of zero trust approaches. I think the difference in you know the last few years and, and into 24 is we're looking at ways we can do this um, outside of the the virtualization portfolio as well, so how we can do that with web and SaaS, or um, you're doing zero trust network access if somebody needs protocol level access. But I think for us, it's zero trust is not a product; it's it's a set of capabilities, and Citrix becomes a platform together with NetScaler and how you can deliver those capabilities. I think the customers themselves would house from you guys as well figure out what zero trust means for them. And how it helps them solve their business challenges. And again, I I, I think it was if it was to close on what I think twenty four, you know, obviously there's a few things in twenty four that we're all seeing. Right, Our AI is still going to be a big topic in twenty four. Um, I'm not going to talk to AI. There's probably going to be somebody else who could do I was, that. I was going to say we got so far into the podcast without talking about AI. I thought we'd managed it. I thought <laughs> no, no, it's not going to happen. Right. Listen, we we. Uh, we're all getting the same news feeds. We're on the same social media. Um, I would say, just from a Citrix perspective, you know, that's again not something we're going to productize, but it's something that we'll be looking at for our engineers, for our support staff, for adding intelligence within the product itself. Things like how can you optimize HDX more? So that that's going to be an area that we'll look at. But it's not, you know. It's not going to be a specific skew <laughs> that we're going to be we're going to be selling. That that's not our area. But really, how can it optimize our products? How can it optimize our processes uh, for people? And again, I think the final one for twenty four is it's still going to be security, security, security. Right? That's still going to be a top conversation. Um, I think you can expect for us even more focus. You know, we we've often fallen in that space between the EUC. Um, team and the security team where we we help make life easier for the security team but they don't really necessarily see us as your standard security vendor 
I think there's some education we need to do for those teams, especially as we see a lot of security converge now, right? Google are doing security offerings. Microsoft are doing security offerings. The big consultancies are all getting into security practices. There's a lot of convergence in that space as well. So I think we need to be able to make clear to a security professional, whether it's the CISO or some other security buyer, how we can help their organization with those uh, delivering secure outcomes. Uh, th- thanks, Jared. I think, Ollie, I want I just bring it back to you. I th- as we didn't touch on AI till late in the day, I thought I'd bring up my favorite subject of uh, the digital employee experience. So I know we talk a lot about IT as a neighbor. How are we getting the outcomes for the business? So if you're okay to talk a bit, what what do we do at Proact? How are we helping those outcomes and how are we making sure that we are an enabler? So, yeah, um, we, you know, we, we, we can look at things from an agnostic point of view and we'll go in and talk to customers about what, what their challenges are, what they are looking for. And to be fair, we are getting a few customers asking us about AI. Um, that, that, to be fair, that puts Azure out of the picture because their GPUs are just too expensive, but it, it gives you other options to stay, you know, on-prem or, or go somewhere else. But yeah, um, from a customer point of view into 2024, they are looking at making that experience as as good as possible for the end user. You, the last thing you want, as we touched on in previous podcasts, is um, your you bottom end users complaining because that just makes everyone's life harder. Um, I think just again going back to AI, you beat me to it, Jerry. Unfortunately, <laughs> I was going to mention it anyway, but we are seeing a lot of a lot of um, traction in that area. Obviously, we we deal with you know, financial institutions, insurance companies, and they can use AI really, really well. As long as it's trained properly, you know, it's, it's another one of these things where if, if you teach it how to, you know, work properly, it will be brilliant. If you teach it how to work inefficiently, it'll be terrible. Um, but the same sort of thing will, I think, eventually, maybe not 2024, but certainly within this decade, I would say, will be there um, fixing issues for customers. You know, when when they, they raise something, it will be an automated fix. You won't. You'll be zero touch fix. Um, security. I think you've obviously the, you read stories about the, these hacker groups that have got AI actually writing um, the worms and things. Now AI is going to be there defending you as well. I think certainly. I'm sure Microsoft are investing heavily in it. They've got they've obviously got Copilot come out um, and Defender. I have no doubt uses quite a lot of it in the background to to just crunch the numbers, you know, menial tasks that can be done by a computer. And it then gives the staff or the, the human element much more freedom to actually then start looking at different things and actually, you know, create things that, that a computer just isn't able to do at the moment. We've got, you know, AI has been around for years. Machine learning is going to be the next big thing. You know, if you look at a, a supermarket door that opens when you go towards it, that's AI. Machine learning is the next big step, and we're just we're not there yet, unfortunately. But which is why we still need innovators with an actual brain to go there and teach the AI what to do. But I think it's going to be huge. It's it's certainly going to be interesting. I think you touched on a good point. I think I mean, and I mentioned earlier we're looking at ways that we could build capabilities into the product, um, build cap- help our own staff, and and in turn help you know help partners and customers. I, I think the other area that's you know of interest uh, and one that we often don't talk about is Citrix has been used for many years for running RPA workloads within organizations for you know, some of the automation sites and the management side of that. I think a lot of the initial focus is um, 
focuses on AI as a, as a cloud-delivered solution. But I think as we move, uh, as customers, as it potentially becomes more productized and available for customers to manage themselves, um, again, some traditional EUC techniques may actually play into some of the management side, the back-end management. I just want to touch on one other subject, which I think is, is obviously going to be key in 2024, is sustainability. Uh, it's around everywhere. There are now metrics set. Uh, one of my colleagues told me, I believe, that most organizations are only one DC refresh away from being targeted on those sustainability metrics. Um, Andrew, Jared, have you got any you know, in, insight into what's happening around Citrix in that space? Yeah, I, I, I've been involved in um, internal sustainability um, team for some time here at Citrix. So we've got a, a lot of a lot of people are passionate about the subject. Um, we work closely with the product BU on that. I think from a customer perspective, there's probably two main asks in this space. Uh, one is, what are you doing as an organization yourself, right? What are you doing on a, um, a reporting side? What are your targets? How are you tracking those? Um, what are your plans for decarbonization? Are you signed up to SBTI? Um, all of those things, right? And, so, and what I'm what I saw in 23, and I expect to see more of in 24, is if you can't prove as an organization that you have both set targets and that you're moving towards those targets, and you're working with probably a, a third party like CDP or Ecovadis in this space, their procurement team may not be able to proceed with you. So as a, as a vendor, as a partner, it kind of becomes key just being able to transact with your end customer. I think the second part and probably the, the more interesting part is what we can do from a product perspective, right? Um, you know, we talked about AI earlier and there's obviously a lot of work being done in that space around you know, optimizations of everything from some supply chain to you know, planetary forecasting. But I think if we look at the end user space, we have ways that we can help uh, users be more efficient in their office use. We have ways they can be more efficient in their device choice. Not everyone needs the highest end workspace station. Not everyone needs the, mo the newest and most expensive laptop. We can make devices last for longer. We can repurpose devices. Um, we can help them move compute to either data centers or hyperscaler locations, which are more carbon efficient. So there's a lot we can do in that space. And we've been working with some customers with a couple of public case studies um, that we've created over the years. But again, I expect in 24, it'll be the two questions will still be there. They'll just be asked a little bit more pointedly. What are you doing as an organization? And what can you do to help me as an IT professional that's been tasked with helping to make my organization more sustainable? It is interesting to see. We're back to some some conversations that occurred a few years ago around VDI by day, you know, AI by night, effectively getting those those efficiencies by repurposing the kit and using it 24-7 in, in data centers that may be more efficient than your own or cloud. So that we are seeing it circle back around to now AI is becoming more prevalent. It's got to be AI with a mind on it has to be sustainable. It it can't be, you know, power hungry. Andrew, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you back in here. I, I Again, digital employee experience, big focus in 2024 and it being more, instead of IT-centric, being user-centric, looking at what the user's happiness is, how, how are they engaging with the technology and making sure they're getting the right experience. Uh, from your side and from our partner side, how do you see Citrix helping us with that? 
Yeah, thanks, Nathan. I, yeah, I think from a from an employee experience perspective, digital employee experience perspective, that's, that's part of our heritage. Um, you know, we have always tried to enable the best possible user experience for an employee that's connecting remotely or using virtualization. Um, so, I think bringing bringing different platforms together is a big one for us. I think Jerry touched on earlier. We're trying to now build that digital workspace experience across SaaS and web apps. So making it more simple for users to know where to go to locate the right resources to go and do their work efficiently. Um, but on top of that, on the back end, on the admin side, we're also um, investing and focusing really heavily on our analytics uh, platform. So our analytics capabilities um, from a performance perspective can help um, admins to, to track down where user experience might be falling down within the organization. So we hear it a lot that, you know, Citrix, is, Citrix isn't working or Citrix is performing poorly. Um, and obviously that can mean a lot of different things um, to a lot of different customers. But um, ultimately that means there's, there's a problem somewhere and it could be within the infrastructure, it could be on the network, it could be um, on the end user device, the application. You know, a plethora, a plethora of different things. Um, so that analytics um, add-on, if you like, that analytics element of our portfolio helps admins to, to track that down, see where common themes of issues are, are happening and and ultimately be able to, to resolve that more quickly. Thank you. It is a common one. You know, it, Citrix is poor or Citrix is slow. And it's, it's the interaction point that they're, they're picking on, not the actual issue. And as you say, there are so many variables involved that you know it can be difficult for for admins and businesses to understand where where to spend the time and troubleshoot. Jerry, am I right to bring you back in? I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you for your top three takeaways of this this session. Are you okay to give me that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think number one is you know right workload, right location. So that hybrid story continues to be important. Um, it's important for obviously for cost reasons for performance reasons, sometimes for regulatory reasons or security reasons. But I think customers are going to continue to evaluate where's the best place to put the workload. Um, I think, you know, they're going to look to us as vendors, you as partners um, to, to help with the delivery or the choice in that and how to make those decisions and how to best deliver them as well. So I think for us, it's going to be a focus on allowing customers to you know, choose the management solution that best suits them, whether it's Citrix Managed, Citrix DAS and, and Citrix Cloud, or it's customer managed Citrix virtual apps and desktops on premises, whether they're doing hyperscaler, whether they're doing on-prem, whether they're doing hyper-converged or traditional hypervisor, make sure that we allow them to make the solution that best suits their business outcomes and is not limited because they have to make some technology compromises. So, so big focus on that. Um, security side continues to be key, right? We, we talked about some of those new um, emerging regulations, the, the threats that continue to be out there. So uh, customers are in that continual sort of dance between we want to give a great end user experience, but we don't want the business to be compromised as well. So that's that's going to continue to be big into 24. I think the, emer the sort of some of the emerging areas in that are really around um, you know, how, how do we deal with some new change in workloads? How do we keep delivering our oldest apps that potentially run the business while we're moving to newer applications? 
Um, how do we do that in the state where we still haven't figured out what our return to office policy is? We're not quite sure where people are working. Um, and I think we, we already talked, we talked about costs, you know, costs, which includes staffing costs, but also, you know, less tangible costs and the knock-on um, uh, implications for sustainability. So customers are going to continually to looking to do, how can I do more with less? How can I get more out of my staff? How can I help them with automation? How can I help them and augment them by working with, you know, working with our vendor ecosystem as well? So I think they're my key ones. Um, I'll let Ollie talk, talk about AI. I was going to say, Ollie, could I have your top three? And you're not allowed to repeat anything Jerry just said. Top three, <laughs> top three for the year. I think um, I was going to, I was going to mention hybrid, but I think that was more. Twenty twenty three was the year, like sort of early twenties, was the year of hybrid. It's where people really started going for it, um, and obviously coronavirus was a big part of that. Um, this year, I think there's going to be a big, big push on sustainability. Definitely. Uh, we're certainly seeing it from certain sectors, education being one of them. They are huge on it. Um, and we do, I mean, a lot of the sort of calculators, I think Proact have got one as well, but a lot of the sort of online calculators where you're looking at hardware and things like that now tell you how much CO2 you are producing with what you are planning to buy or the reduction in CO2 at least. Um, so yeah, sustainability is a, a huge one. AI, we've got, we've got to go there. Um, I think it's it's certainly a buzzword and I'm currently doing sort of training on it. So I'm getting to understand it a bit more. And I think if we can get customers to understand what it can do and the actual capabilities of it, it's it, that's going to absolutely take off. Absolutely take off. It will, again, like, like Jerry said, it will allow them to do so much more with so less. Um, that, that will be, I think that's going to be massive this year. And number three, oh, let's see. What do we have? Oh no, I've done three now. Security, sustainability, and AI. There you go. Security is always is always a big one, and that's just that's just getting pushed and pushed and pushed. You know, ZTNA things like that are just yeah, yeah. People cannot afford to be hit with a security breach. That's what that is, and they will throw money at that all day. Andrew, I'm going to ask you a slightly different question to end the podcast. If it's all right, I know you work very closely with us as our partner manager, so I'm going to ask you the top three takeaways of the value of partnership. Yeah. So no, I think. From a from a partnership perspective, I think the value the value of the the cloud software group and products partnership, I think, is only going to grow over twenty twenty four. We're uh, you know, firstly we're putting um, even more focus and investment into the channel as we as we did last year, and um, so I think I think that's that piece is is going to be the primary go to market from a cloud software group perspective. And um, you know, like I say. Proact will will lead those customer conversations and will support where where appropriate. Um, I think from uh, from a customer perspective, selecting the right partner, um, obviously based based on that change, is more important than it than it ever has been. So, in the past, we saw a lot of customers transacting via transactional partners and going directly to Citrix for that account management side of things and you know understanding where things are going. I think in this model where the partner is 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 the lead interactor with the customer, um, it obviously means it's you know we, we need to be selecting our, our value added partners a little bit more appropriately. 
thirdly, I think relationships uh, are, the, are the key thing. So, you know, as we said at the, at the start of the call, we worked really closely with the, the entire Proact team. The relationships that we've built over the course of the past year under this new model um, will only go from, from strength to strength. You know, we've got really strong connections in our uh, technical teams, um, within our sales teams, and, you know, looking forward to, to, to building on them as, as 2024 progresses. Thank you, Andrew. Before uh, Ollie has now put the wind up me and I'm now worried that AI will replace us before the next podcast, I'd like to thank Jerry, Andrew and Ollie for joining us today. I, I look forward to further conversations around Citrix uh, as 2024 continues. Thanks for listening to this episode of Data Center Unplugged. You can connect with today's presenters, check out our other episodes and get more information on what we've covered today by visiting proact.co.uk forward slash data center unplugged.